Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome, welcome to The Nose, our weekly cultural roundtable. So this is, as I said before the news, a slightly unusual situation because often I have to kind of restrain myself from, or I unsuccessfully restrain myself uh, from injecting my own thoughts about things. But in our first conversation, I definitely have fewer thoughts and way less knowledge than the rest of the panel. Uh, That'll be about uh, Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard and Amber Heard versus Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson versus Evan Rachel. Never never mind. Never mind. Anyway, and then we'll go from there to Slow Horses, uh, which is an adaptation of a series of spy novels by Mick Herron, giving Gary Oldman a chance to do some very Gary Oldman-y stuff. Uh, but also Kristen Scott Thomas and a bunch of other amazing actors. We'll talk about all of that with the panel David Edelstein, America's Greatest Living Film Critic. Held, Helder Mira is a multimedia producer at Trinity College and co-host of the So Pretentious podcast with Vivian Nabetta. Carolyn Payne is an actress, comedian, dancer, founder, director, choreographer of Kinetic Dance. She's directing stuff now. I can't keep up. I can't keep up. That's just too much. Uh, but she's doing a lot of things. Take my word for it. I wouldn't lie to you. All right. So panel, first of all, we are going to begin uh, with the very complicated litigation going back and forth between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. I will do my best to set the scene, but you guys know it way better than I do. Maybe just so I don't even forget, let's hear a clip from the proceedings. Uh, these from, are from the proceedings of uh, April 24th. First, which would have been about a week ago, uh, a week ago Thursday, I guess. And uh, we are going to hear uh, Johnny Depp and the attorney for this really looks, seems like an episode of The Good Fight or something, but uh, Johnny Depp and the uh, uh, attorney for um, Amber Heard and then the attorney for Johnny Depp and back and forth and back and forth. All right, here we go. I had gone to Mr. Bett and said, uh, she's in Coachella, she's at Coachella. I think it's a good time to go downtown so that I can get some of my things, you know. And he said, I don't think now's a good time to go. And I thought, it's the perfect time. She's not going to be home for two days. And then he showed me a photograph on his telephone of... Uh, Objection, Your Honor. Also here, say. It's, it's a photograph, Your Honor. As being relayed to him by Mr. Bett. He, he says he looked at it on his, fo- on his phone. I'll overrule the objection as the photograph. What was the photograph of Mr. Depp? It was a, it was a, it was a photograph of the bed, our bed. Um, and on my side of the bed was human fecal matter. So I understood why it wasn't a good time to go down there. Yes, that would be the poop sequence in the trial, which, you know, from what I can glean, may not even be the low moment of this particular 
uh, set of legal proceedings. I will just simply say, as Jonathan McPants has informed me, that John, John C. Depp II versus Amber Laura Heard is, is a defamation trial in Fairfax County, Virginia. We're in th- week three of the trial. He is suing Amber Heard for $50 million. She is countersued for $100 million. They were married from 2015 to 2017. It sounds like they were not married either happily or continently. Uh, and um, so I don't know, Carolyn, what is going on here? This Is this just a dumpster fire that people can't stop watching? Does it have some other meat on its bones somewhere? Um, this is, I think, my favorite dumpster fire of this year. Um, it just, it's like every every couple hours, you are you get like a new golden nugget dropped here uh, of something that is going on. <laughs> <laughs> you. Um, I, 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 it's just all these great little like sound clips of uh, testimonies like Johnny Depp was asked uh, about his daytime drinking and he just glibly responds. I mean, isn't isn't happy hour anytime. And, uh, you know, then you have the herd's lawyer who objected to his own question. He He asked a question and then and then said objection. And the judge is like, it was your own question. So, I mean, it's just like the rules of courtroom, what what we think to be the rules of a courtroom are just completely thrown out. Uh, so you have that on, on that level. Then you just have these wild stories of this relationship between Depp and Heard uh, that, I mean, it's like hearing, you know, every so often you have a friend who goes through this like really like tumultuous, crazy relationship and they tell you stories and you're like, whoa, but these are, these are a hundred times any of those stories that a friend would like drunkenly relay to you about their bad relationship. I mean, this is things like, you know, I mean, his finger allegedly was severed by a vodka bottle and then he scrawled writing in blood on the broken window. And, 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 you know, then there's just, I mean, he's bringing gummy bears to court and doing doodles and passing the doodles to his lawyer and they're laughing about it. It's, I mean, I, I don't know, but I, oh, and the muffin man, I, I the, the muffin man is, is another little, and there's like alpacas hanging outside the courthouse for support. Like, I mean, it is just. Wait a minute. People are bringing like support alpacas. I assume to, for emotional support for Johnny Depp, who seems to be getting more emotional support than Amber yeah. Heard. Yeah. I mean, and these are just the tip of the iceberg. I mean, you can really. I mean, you can really just go down a rabbit hole here of following this trial. And uh, obviously, I've done that. Um, yes, you have. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me just pass the baton over here. Although, David Edelstein, let's begin by saying the obvious, that typically the pr- purpose of defamation lawsuits is to recover damages because something unpleasant about you uh, ha- and, and presumably ideally false about you uh, has been made public. And and I think I'm fair. I think I'm. This is heuristics, but uh, I'm assuming about ninety percent of the people who know a lot about this case would know zero about this case if no lawsuits had ever been filed. I mean, both of these lawsuits are so counterproductive to what they purport to be. But make the case for being interested in this. Or uh, I was wondering, uh, David, whether we should even be talking about this on the nose. What is the case for talking about this on the nose? <laughs> you're you're asking the wrong person because uh, I mean I, I I don't like to talk about the case itself. I I didn't observe any of this behavior, and you didn't either. And uh, I feel really dirty just just hearing Carolyn talk, which 
actually is a good thing in some ways, but, but I, uh, uh, I, I, I see it more in the context of Johnny Depp's very uh, public dissolution that's been taking place over several decades. Um, the thing to hold on to about Johnny Depp is that he has three inspirations in his life, three role models. They are uh, Marlon Brando, Hunter Thompson, and Keith Richards. Uh, all of them are monuments to prodigal self-destruction, to prodigal waste. They are, uh, um, they are, they are people who, who uh, have taken the sort of the romance of dissolution, made, made dissolution seem like existential heroism. And Johnny Depp, with his, with his damaged background, uh, with, with his uh, uh, very traumatic, uh, uh, you know, uh, upbringing and his, uh, and the uh, insane amounts of money he was making and uh, the availability of cocaine and alcohol, uh, followed each of them. Now, I would argue that Keith Richards is, is in fact, turns out to be, uh, is a rather industrious person, despite the fact that graveyards are littered with the bodies of musicians who uh, quite literally tried to keep up with him and did not. Uh, but he is a he is a working musician and has been for decades and decades. Uh, Brando self-destructed, an orgy of, of alcohol and sex and... Uh, uh, food and uh, Depp once in an interview said that he envied uh, Marlon uh, his freedom for not caring for 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 allowing himself to go that far and when you but when you look at Brando Brando ate and drank himself into a cage Brando died a miserable forlorn prisoner and the same thing with hunter thompson died a, a paranoid coke-addled alcoholic burnout and these are johnny depp's role models and you can see it in his performances in his increasingly tipsy eccentric uh cartoonish performances but now you can see the way it spilled into his his marriage his life indeed his 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 hygiene his bearing it's tragic. It really is tragic. It is tragic. Um, and I just realized that my Keith Richards uh, is Eric Tulin. Like I just realized about at the end of freshman year of college that if I continued to try to do things that Eric did, I would die and he would live to be 90. Uh, all right. So, um, so Helder, you know, there's a way in which the, peop the people who are kind of vibing off this thing and getting involved and keeping their own running commentary up on the social medias, it's kind of like the people's court, except that, first of all, the, the litigants are not regular people. They're just people of enormous privilege and power, especially Johnny Depp. Uh, and, and on the people's court, if you're just watching, you don't get to participate. And I think there's a way in which this trial kind of plays into what people like to do on social media, which is weigh in on things, whether they really understand them or not. But what? give me your take. I mean, I'm about to weigh in on something I barely understand as well. So um, I'm also very concerned after that, after David's description that Jonathan McNichol uh, said that Johnny Depp was his idol. So let's keep an eye on, on <laughs> McPants that nothing happens to him. I think for, um, for hair purposes only, though. OK, that's good. Uh, yeah, it's a mess. It just looks like a complete disaster and it just feels like its own reality show. I mean, I haven't watched as much as Carolyn has. But it gets like pushed out in my face. It pushed into my feeds all over the place, be it uh, Twitter, Reddit, or even as I turn on my uh, smart TV, and the first thing that pops up is Johnny 
Depp and um, and Amber Heard. So my whole understanding of it just comes kind of like from gleaming whatever I do off of um, off the feeds that I get. But I'm also reminded of the fact that this is the same couple that did that bizarre apology video when they went to Australia and took her dog and they had to like apologize for it and just created this like bizarre non-apology video. Do you all remember that? Um, I should have brought that up so that maybe we could have gotten a soundbite <laughs> from that. Uh, it, I'm just waiting for the what's who's the dude that does all those like um, true crime shows now. That Ryan Murphy, you think Ryan Murphy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's the next one. I mean, it's it's ripe for it. Uh, Johnny just sounded so awful. It. You already have it. You already have it. <laughs> you have the footage. Yeah. But we the need the meta aspect. So yeah, so Carolyn, am I going to be sorry if I ask you to tell me about the Muffin Man? Uh, no, I think that. <laughs> okay, because I don't Is know it a about brand the Muffin. muffin? <laughs> yeah. So okay, so Herd Herd was evaluated by a doctor, um, and like for as part of this trial, and the doctor who evaluated her uh, on the stands was telling a story about, uh, that she and Heard were sharing muffins in the morning together before the evaluation. And it came into light that her husband went out and bought these muffins for them. And then, I don't know, it just became something that everyone latched onto because it was, it was weird. And I mean, and that's the problem here. It's like these testimonies from these people are just so out of control and like, you know, you, you had somebody testifying virtually while vaping and driving. So, you know, it was no shock when this woman is just this doctor who was sent to evaluate her and her mental health is just talking about the muffins that they enjoyed together that her husband bought them. So then obviously the internet uh, deemed her husband the muffin man and made references to the movie Shrek and created all these like, you know, little videos and stuff. So that's who the muffin man is in this trial. Carolyn, I still don't understand what I don't understand what you just said at all. <laughs> I, I have no I'm not, idea. Uh, it's who the muffin man is. You know, it, you're David. About. It's like jazz. It's the muffins he's not making. Uh, that's the that's the part of it that's important. It's like jazz in that sense. You know, David, is it the muffin top or the muffin? <laughs> no, let's not even well. go. Let's not even go there. <laughs> um, so, David, and and we should say, I mean, this is a trial that is at some level about previous. Uh, allegations of previous abuse. It's not really clear I mean, who's abusing who more. I mean, both of them seem to have been abusing each other. It's just the marriage you kind of don't want to be in. And, and there's a way, David, I, you know, years and years ago, Frank Rich, I think, coined a term like mediathon. And then he sort of tried to work out like what it takes to keep a mediathon going. And, and that's changed a little bit in the social media era. But it's only changed in the sense of kind of being amplified and, and concentrated. And I think one of the things that it takes are these little drops of kind of schadenfreude tinctured dopamine that kind of come into pe people that you know a new disclosure a new this a new that and and because these people apparently have really really bad judgment uh they're just fire hoses of the kind of stuff that this sort of social media shark fest runs off of i don't know give me your sense of like what's happening here why are we doing this well, I think I think we, we've always, like Johnny Depp, had uh, a fascination with people who proclaim their absolute freedom. Uh, in this case, money, uh, glamour. I mean, Johnny Depp at least used to be a, a pretty gorgeous kid. Uh, Amber Heard sure is pretty. Um, 
Johnny Depp, you know, following in Brando's footsteps, bought his own South Pacific island, um, has been able to do anything he wants. We want to see that that, in fact, our freedom is is limited. We every time we turn on the TV and and we look at Johnny Depp, we see a man who's uh, not just at the end of his talent, but at the end of his tether. Um, and it's very rare that you see that kind of public meltdown uh, covered in, you know, gavel to gavel. I mean, this is an extraordinary peak uh, into the kind of legal proceedings that well, I don't think we've we've ever we've ever been taken in so close before. I mean, I don't really want to watch that this, and I, I I tell you, I haven't watched obviously as much as Carolyn or or as much as I'm sure as much as most of the listeners, but um, but I. I I, I'm looking at a, how can, how can you turn away from seeing the most privileged, the most lucky, the most successful, the most glamorous people in the world being laid out on an autopsy table like this while they're still alive? Right. I mean, some of this also, I, I don't know much about this case at all, but um, like I didn't even know who the Muffin Man was. But um, I do. I have covered enough of the legal system as a in my days as a more legitimate journalist. One thing that I can tell, and I mean, everybody knows this anyway, but when you get to litigation about a divorce, about a domestic uh, arrangement, about uh, allegations of infidelity, about a custody fight, uh, anything like that, People do things that they would just never do under any other circumstances. Now, these two people look like they would do a lot of pretty crazy stuff even without uh, a bunch of um, cases to, to fuel it. But once it gets to this point, once you start hiring lawyers and stuff like that, I mean, it just turns into even halfway normal people will, will kind of get like that. So uh, I don't know if there's any way to kind of put a bow or a button on this. Although, Helder, I guess one thing that I find myself thinking is like – I don't even really want want to know this stuff because kind of to David's point, I mean, I enjoy Johnny Depp fairly. I'm, I'm just tired of knowing this stuff. You know, I mean, we're going to probably talk about whether Gary Oldman is a highly unpleasant person in the next segment. I don't care. I don't want to know. I want Kevin Spacey to come back. You know, I'm just sort of tired of this whole process of earing out stuff about people whose work I just wanted to enjoy. Am I just being too selfish, Elder? I don't think so. I mean, I have the same experience, uh, you know, both with, with Depp. I, I, much like you all, I, I like Johnny Depp a lot. Like, I've enjoyed all of his films, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I think is a great piece of acting on his part, portraying, um, <clears throat> excuse me, portraying Hunter. Um, but likewise, just something that just happened recently on Twitter um, with someone else that's also like in the court of, uh, of public opinion, um, Chris Pratt is constantly getting. Um, canceled or why are people constantly want to cancel him for his beliefs um and that's kind of like up and down like you know however i i just want to enjoy the guardian of the galaxy guardians of the galaxy movie and yet you know i constantly have to like also be like oh is pratt problematic this is just going to constantly go on as long as there's this new form of social media like how are we going to um get past that our people that we respect and want to watch are problematic. Like they are human and we yes. have to acknowledge try that. Reviewing, try reviewing the next Woody Allen and Roman Polanski movie. It's <laughs> yeah. impossible. Right. To look at oh, yeah. exactly. I mean, they're trying to get uh, 
you know, Pratt fired from the last film, he's already shot. <laughs> you know, that's that's what happened in, in James Gunn. Again, yet another person who's who's seen as problematic by a, a de, you know a dedicated few loud people um, are constantly trying to cancel James Gunn still, and he came out and defended that. So when is this ever going to end? I don't think it ever will, and we just you know, need to make sure that Bob Newhart stays safe and that he's the last good person out in Hollywood. <laughs> Don't anyone tell me otherwise. Yeah, but he's best friends with, with Don Rickles. So anyway, we have to take a break. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about slow horses. We're probably going to talk about also just how streaming content is released these days. Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on? you see it your way On the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. We are back. We are back with David Edelstein, Helder Mira, and Carolyn Payne. Uh, we are now about to talk uh, about Slow Horses, uh, these, uh, based on a series of books about some putatively burned out, washed up uh, spies who are thrown out of MI5 and thrown over uh, to a place called Slough House. Uh, and it stars, uh, in particular, Gary Oldman, but also Kristen Scott Thomas and a, a bunch of other people. How much has this show gotten in my head? Uh, today, Jonathan McPants sent me a question about today's show, and I immediately typed back, how should I know, you dozy sod? Um, so uh, w before we even hear from the panel about this, maybe it's a good idea to uh, hear from the real source of such observations. Here's Gary Oldman as Jackson Lamb, the washed-out-looking head of these washed-out-looking spies, and Jack Loudon as River Cartwright, who's kind of the uh, action hero of the whole gang. What was it? Uh, 149 dead, 212 injured. Uh, three million in damages, half a billion in lost revenue. It was a training exercise. Uh, if a pilot crashes a simulator, he doesn't then brush it off and go, well, oh, sorry, it was a f***ing exercise, and then expect to be put behind the wheel of a 747. It's not the same thing. No, it's worse, you tip. You're going to do this every day, then? Oh, if I didn't make the sight of you, I'd come to your home and do it at the weekends, too. I am surrounded by cups in this building, but you are the gold standard of cups. By all rights, you shouldn't even be here. You should have skipped this purgatory and gone straight to hell, melted down for glue, but you avoided that because your name is Carvage. 
So when you wonder why I have you going through the rubbish of a disgraced right-wing journal, wonder no more. It's because I don't like you. I don't want you to quit. And the answer to the question, are you going to do this every day, is yes, he is going to do this every day. He's going to do this in every particular scene that he's in, that Gary Oldman as Jackson Lamb is the worst boss in the world, except that may be concealing the fact that he's the best boss in the world. Uh, maybe that's a, a little bit of a spoiler. I hope not. So um, so David Edelstein, one reason that I insisted that you be invited is I just started watching the series, and then I saw you uh, on Facebook inveighing against it, partly because you're very partial to the McHeron books. So I don't know if you changed your opinion since then, uh, but but tell us a little bit about your relationship to the source material. Uh-huh. I, I tricked you, didn't I? Yeah. I? I've come around to the show to quite enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how anybody couldn't actually, but but yeah, continue. Uh, the first ep- the first episode it, it took me a while to get into it. First of all, I pictured Jackson Lamb a little bit differently. I would like to have seen uh, someone like Brian Cox playing the role. I would have. Uh, uh, first of all, he's much fatter in the book, and he's much more flatulent, uh, and he's even more vulgar, racist, sexist. Uh, he is, I mean, it is is—it is a, a Don Rickles would blanch and excuse himself. Um, it's, it's just appalling what he does. But the books are, the books are extraordinary. I mean, the key to Jackson Lamb is he is, he is George Smiley, uh, but uh, post-Cold War, who has uh, reached who reached the end of his tether much more quickly than many of them. He's had to do some really horrible things. He's lost uh, his Joes. Joes are what are the term for uh, agents working for him. And you have this extraordinary. You do have uh, wonderful John Le Carre like plotting and double crosses and triple crosses and uh, all sorts of of internecine backbiting. Uh, but at the same time, you, you have a, a layer of wit uh, that is uh, uh, worthy of, of Kingsley Amos or, or worthy of P.G. Woodhouse at times. Um, just hilarious verbal acrobatics. And by someone who, uh, by an author who, who um, loves this genre, who sees its absurdity, but loves it, and is telling us something about um, the world we live in now and the bizarre nature of, of, of you know, loyalties and rivalries. And, and uh, you know, it's a, it's a really, really despairing view of... Uh, of uh, I guess what you know, I, it's hard to it's hard to think of Smiley giving you know John Le Carre making you hopeful about the world, but um, this is a, a a view in which you really have no allies out there. And yes, Jackson Lamb is he'll never be, have a heart of gold. He'll always be a mean sob, but he is he has a kind of integrity and a loyalty to the people who work for him that is in- increasingly just exhilarating to behold. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting how much Le Carre just came up even in that, and he actually comes up, Le Carre, him, uh, Smiley himself comes up, he's mentioned yes. uh, affectionately and wistfully uh, in the final episode. Um, of course, the difference being that Le Carre was kind of uh, of the service, uh, He uh, and he had, he had the kind of effect on British intelligence that uh, Scorsese 
Scorsese and, and Coppola have on the mafia in the sense that he kind of told them who else they could be. Uh, I noticed this last week we were talking about the Batman, and at one point Alfred, played by Andy Circus, talks about his time in the circus, which uh, is a little pun that nobody else seems to be amused by. But but also the circus is a term coined by Le Carre. It's possible that mole is actually a coinage of Le Carre that it had not been used before. Words that have been kind of it could be Joe too, for all I know, the one that you mentioned. But that's the kind. Let of, me interject. One, yeah. Let me interject one more thing, which is that I I forgot to mention Gary Oldman, of course, played George Smiley yes. in a remake of Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. So it goes even further than yeah. Yeah, in this case. So, um, yeah, you know, I don't know, Helder, as this thing went along and and uh, I, I the, the last stop, the, the finale, and we should say there's a second season, it, it appears to be already shot. Uh, there's a trailer that runs at the end of the final episode. So they're they're ready to go. Uh, but there are eight books. There are eight. There are seven, seven books, two novellas and one book, uh, one novel about to come out in uh, uh, about two weeks. I've already had it pre-ordered. So, so, uh, so yeah. So, Helder, I feel like this is a series that, you know, because of there's a sort of a mode to Le Carré, the fruit of the Le Carré tree, which is that British spy shows often leave you in the position of trying to connect a couple of dots that have been sort of sitting randomly on the table, but they don't necessarily explain everything to you. You've got to work things out for yourself. And I find watching them that there's a the pleasure of them is cumulative because you get it more and more and more. So before I watched today's, this morning, I watched the finale, you said it was really good and you're right. And I think it does build in a nice way. Oh, it's wonderful how it builds. I I started it on Tuesday when I was kind of dealing with some uh, after effects of my COVID and uh, and because Jonathan had suggested it and I, I was like, ah, it's kind of late. I'll just watch one. And I got so hooked. I had to watch the next one. And then I was uh, I binged the rest on Wednesday during a sick day. So it was, it was like it was candy. It was like so great. And then I had to like I was the minute it popped up on my Apple TV that it was the last episode was out yesterday night. I dropped everything and went and started watching it because I needed to know how it ended. I needed to know, you know, do they save Hassan, the kidnapped um, <clears throat> the kidnapped Pakistani student uh, who's actually British? That's the plot that happens for those that haven't seen it yet is uh is a uh, a bunch of neo nationalists, uh, British neo nationalists uh, named Sons of Albion, kidnap a, a student, a Pakistani student, to uh, behead him, uh, thinking he's just a regular uh, immigrant, but he's actually British born. And there's a lot of commentary about that um, that goes on. I it was I was hooked, and it's it's great how they do lay out all this all the little they connect the dots so wonderfully and and kind of lead you through it. Um, there's a couple that kind of like, really, would that have happened? Um, not to spoil anything, but at, the cast is just so great in the writing. And I was also taken in by the fact that it's one of the producers is Graham Yost, who did a masterful job with Justified when that was on FX and adapting that series um, to see that that's that craft is still kept going in, in this particular series. And like you said, like the fact that there's already a trailer for the second season, I know we're going to talk about streaming networks afterwards but it's just great to know that we're already going to get a second season and that's that's a given and it looks promising yes and actually carolyn i don't even know i should say that we had all of our pre-show conversation was really about 
depth versus herd. So I don't even really know what you thought of all this. We haven't said that much about Kristen Thomas, Kristen Scott Thomas so far, but she is playing a character whose resting bitch face could be used as a substitute for a nuclear weapon. I mean, she's just, you know, about as hard and sinister as somebody on essentially a heroic team could be. So, Carolyn, I'm wondering just in general, I mean, how did this series work for you? Uh, you know what? I actually really liked this. I'm in uh, shock. I'm in shock. I know. I know. This never happens. It never happens. So uh, enjoy this moment. Um, it, it From like the first, you know, 10 minutes that just like grabs you in. That's crucial to me. I, I feel like I am just so ADD with shows. Like if they can't grab me in those first <laughs> few minutes, um, you know, I'm like, ah, I don't know, I'll just move on. So this grabs you. And then, you know, in case you weren't grabbed by all the action and, and everything that happens, then you get Gary Oldman just like farting with holes in his socks and being absolutely gross and wonderful at it. Uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, her, yeah, she is, she is just like a boss bitch queen. Like all of the performances, uh, are stellar, the writing, um, I, I definitely am going to be finishing it. I did not stay up last night to watch the last episode, but I am 100% into it. And uh, Jack Loden, uh, the actor who plays uh, Cartwright, I am now low-key obsessed with him. And uh, in my Googling to learn more about him, I guess it's being kind of implied and there's some like rumors online that he might be a Bond coming up in films. Um, that I would accept. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I think this is definitely something that if people haven't watched is a great like weekend binge show. Yeah, no, I, 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 I sort of had the same. I didn't know the Bond rumor, but uh, I had the same Bond thoughts uh, watching mm -hmm. him that he could sort of do this. And David, this is one of the, the things about this series is it begins with this very protracted action sequence about which we've already kind of leaked a little bit too much. And we shouldn't say anything more about that, except that it does begin. I, I know that you were a little bit put off by the first episode, but that opening sort of suggests to me, oh, we're in good hands. They know how to show me something kind of exciting. I know it's a, a sort of a Le Carre kind of thing, so it's going to be more talk than action. But they can kind of move cameras around in exciting ways. They can keep me interested. I know, what, was your, what was your sort of thought about this, the kind of filmmaking, if that's the right term, of this? Uh, it's, it's beautifully made. It's beautifully directed. It's beautifully acted. I have no, I have no doubt. And, and, of course, in the final episode, it's just wickedly suspenseful. But uh, it also it teases you. It, I mean, it makes fun of the conventions at the same time as it's delivering them. What I love is... The show can be very comic without coming close to spilling into camp. It's also very, very realistic at the same time. And that's that's really true to the tone of the book. Um, as the books go on, uh, this isn't really a spoiler, but these are very cruel books. We, we lose uh, some of the, the main characters along the way in the course of these seven books. And, uh, and I think that... Um, the, the the realism of, of the action scenes, um, the, the grunting, the breathing, the blood, the the, uh, the 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 pain that these people are clearly in is is a key. You know, is one of the things that makes the the comedy, the vul the vulgarity, Jackson Lamb's vulgarity, such a such a wonderful release. Um, it really is a, a a kind of nightmare world, and I think I think it's it's captured it perfectly. I I had some 
issues with the, um, <laughs> I, I liked uh, that opening scene better in the book than, uh, than in the, uh, than in the show. I was just, believe it or not, disappointed by it, <laughs> but everything else has gone swimmingly. Yeah. So uh, we should probably segue a little bit from there to, um, to sort of talking about just sort of the way things are, you know, Helder, you were just talking about your own, you know, binging of this, although we should say slow horses was kind of dropped in the other way. It was dropped on Fridays, uh, or I guess final episode was dropped last night for some reason, but dropped on, on Fridays. And we were, I was sort of inviting people to talk a little bit about the fact that this, first of all, are the we're in the spring floods of streaming television. I mean, you know, if you want to pick up on something, I mean, the final seven episodes of Ozark dropped last night, also at three in the morning. Apparently, yeah. I want to say, Colin, can I just say yeah. that I I uh, I, I'm, uh, I I agreed to do this um, show earlier in the week. But I just want to tell you, if I had not been expected to be coherent uh, today at 1 p.m., I would have started watching. I would be done with it by now. I would have and probably asleep because I would have started watching it at uh, 3 a.m. I have put it off. I have put it off until 2 p.m. today because of you. And I am I am going crazy here because that is an extraordinary show. But, you know, yeah, Helder, just it, as it, a follow ahead. up, yeah, I was going to say, uh, sorry, um, I was going to say that I think it was when Book of Boba Fett was coming out. I was actually waking up early in the day like the, that it would come out on Wednesdays and watch it so that I wouldn't get spoiler stuff happening. So I, I feel you, David. Yeah. But, you know, that brings up the question that. And uh, Carolyn, we had a little dialogue about this, too. I mean, I was saying that because I thought David might do that because I know him well enough. We have known each other for decades. I thought he might get up at three in the morning and watch all of Ozark. And then I was going to have to avoid talking to him about Ozark because I, I just wasn't in a position to do anything like that. Uh, and there's a way in which when they release everything like that, then y you actually have to avoid descriptions. If it's something you care about, you have to be careful on Twitter or anything like that. They might find out something. You can't talk to somebody else who's already binged the whole thing. Oh. I actually don't think, Carolyn, that this is as much fun, really, as having things come out one at a time. And then you can talk about it with your friends. You make sure that they've seen that one hour that they have to see and you can have that conversation. I, I think this may be one of the many reasons Netflix is having problems right now. Yeah, I mean, I used to be a fan of of the binge. Like I was a glutton, like the show would come out, I would sit and binge watch all of it. Uh I I there were times where I stayed up until it was released at, you know, whatever crazy hour they dropped it. Uh then, you know, now there have been a lot of shows, I'd say in the past 2 years where they have started or 3 years even where they've started kind of going back to what I call the old school method where they're giving us one at, you know, one a week, maybe two if we're lucky. And at first this like outraged me. Um, I was just getting like withdrawn <laughs> and, and, and was just constantly complaining about how I couldn't finish watching the show. And, but then I realized like it was allowing me to actually enjoy the show and, and digest it and talk about it. And, uh, you know, I even got to create a podcast about Big Little Lies, which we could <laughs> if they had uh, if they had dropped that all at once. So, um, you know, now I actually am a fan and I am shocked for me to say this because I am totally I am somebody who just wants everything immediately. I am a fan of the slow release with shows. 
Well, you know, Helder, I, I, I argue that it's actually bad business to do it the binging way, partly because you can't create the kind of buzz. I mean, Slow Horses is a bad example, but, you know, we know w- what they can do with an individual Walking Dead episode. They can have Chris Hardwick on for, a, you know, another one hour afterwards with the Talking Dead. They can get the conversations going on lots of podcasts that talk about entertainment. In some cases, like with Game of Thrones, there were like 92 different podcasts that did nothing but analyze the one episode that had just come out. I mean, this this is how you get people to watch stuff right now is you create kind of all this interwoven supportive content for it. Right. I mean, there's so many podcasts about, and now there are podcasts about shows that are off the air, such as like uh, Community has its own podcast, Parks and Rec has its own podcast, New Girl, you know, Psych, everyone's got their own podcast talking about their show that they were on years ago that they're still trying to relive. Um, I personally like the slow drip of like one episode coming out per week because it allows me to have something to look forward to versus the binge. I mean, I like Carolyn really did like the binge at one point, but then, you know, it's like uh, being an addict. Once you're done with that, like binge, what, what do you get next? Like, look at what happened with Stranger Things where, you know, they dropped you know, full seasons at once. And now we're like two years or so without any new season and even then like what's going to happen when they drop it all at once again and we we consume it really quickly um and it's over and and then we're waiting for the kids to you know grow up um but having that like episode by episode we get to like communicate and it's fun to just talk about that one particular episode that just came out versus like someone that binged the whole season in one day and like they're so far ahead of you you don't know what they're talking about and they're giving you spoilers um and yeah, avoiding that spoiler on a on the day a show comes out is is treacherous. I mean, all the Marvel shows are like that. All the Star Wars shows that you know, thankfully, no one's been spoiling slow horses. So that was at least fun to to, to watch and be. Yeah, it's a safer choice. So we're almost out of time here. But so David Edelstein, I assume one reason that you would naturally go towards the idea of binging seven episodes of Ozark, and I worship Ozark. It's certainly on my list of my favorite 20 television series of all time. But being a movie guy, you want something closer to the cinematic experience, like an hour doesn't really do it for you? No, uh, no, because they're they're different media. Um, I think uh, episodic television has, you you know, you with the Sopranos, with with Breaking Bad and now Better Call Saul, which they are releasing one or in the case of the the first two episodes, Mm -hmm. two a week. Um, you you were watching characters and actors develop over a long period of time. Now, I miss some shows um, you know, the one uh, that um, our favorite uh, actress from Ozark uh, ha- just appeared in, um, you know, where she was the, the impersonator. Invent- inventing Anna. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's a show that really could have been uh, a, a one hour and a half feature. That didn't need to be 10 hours. But um, but other shows, you know, you want them to evolve over time. And I agree with with Carolyn that I would rather I would rather live with it for a week. I would mm. rather. Um, but I do think, um, you know, as more and more serious projects are going to television, um, I, I do. I miss the compression. I, I miss the the sort of poetic choices that a dramatist will have to make. A great novel, no, you're not going to really get far from the matting crowd in in two hours. But uh, <laughs> but you know you you are 
you, you, it's a different discipline and it's a different kind of storytelling. And I do hope that, uh, you know, I, I would like to have both those kinds of storytelling. All right. We have to run to take a quick break here. We'll come back. We'll make some recommendations. Surrounded by losers, misfits and boozers, hanging by your fingernails. You may want the steak, you got burned at the stake. You finish, you foolish, you fail. There's always a hope on this slippery slope. Okay, special thanks to Dylan Rays, who's in there running the control room board thing situation deal. You can tell I'm really keyed into the technological aspect of this show. Uh, under the watchful eye of Cat Pastor at all times, uh, Jonathan McPants is the uh, producer of the nose, as per usual. Uh, and uh, now it's time to make some recommendations with our wonderful panel. David Edelstein, why don't you go first? We're interested to know what you're recommending. I. You know, I didn't prep anything, so I will, I will, I will give two recommendations. One is to go out and get these uh, slow horses novels. I promise you, you will be delighted and charmed. I mean, unfortunately, the characters are now fixed in your mind as the actors. Um, the other thing is, I've been enjoying a, a podcast um, called Knowledge Fight which uh, basically is two guys re-listening to Alex Jones and and actually fact-checking him as it goes along. And I really had no idea how insane this person is. What a, what a, a portrait of psychopathy, you know, was, was unfolding before us every day. Um, it's truly scary and it truly makes certain developments, you know, the, the, the paranoid anti-globalist worldview is, is contained in, in what this man is doing. And uh, I am, I, I am I am riveted by it and sickened by it. And uh, uh, if that's not good podcasting, I don't know what is. The companion text, of course, is Elizabeth Williamson's new book about Sandy Hook, which yes, of course, and she was a guest on on this show. Yeah, she actually. gets she gets well, deeper into she gets deeper into Jones's world than I've seen anybody get so far. It's really kind of impressive. All right, uh, Carolyn, what have you got for us? Um, I have a I have one of my classically absurd endorsements of total garbage TV on Netflix. It's uh, it's called The Ultimatum. It's so bad. It's it's actually like worse than the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial. So if you've gone down that rabbit hole, you may as well go down this one. It's uh, hosted by Nick and Vanessa um, Lachey. They're just it, it's it's a crazy dating reality show. Um, but if you just need to like turn your brain off, which is what I needed to do this week, uh, it's kind of a, it's a fun way to get yourself all riled up yelling at the TV and watching some really garbage reality TV, which we all know I love. All right. The, the ultimatum is what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Not to be confused with the Singaporean Chinese drama called The Ultimatum. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, um, so Helder, uh, what have you got to recommend to us? Um, so I'm just going to do two quick ones, which is uh, there's a series on HBO Max that is from uh, the BBC called Ghosts. It's about, uh, I think there's three series at this point. Um, and it's all about this young couple that inherit uh, an estate somewhere outside of London. Um, the wife ends up getting hit on the head and realizes that she can actually see and speak to the ghosts that inhabit the uh, estate that all kind of span a variety of various um, eras. 
So it's the cast is great. There's a lot of improv. Um, it's fascinating. It's really humorous and very touching. Um, the second endorsement is for, uh, I mentioned it briefly, but Moon Knight on Disney, which uh, takes this kind of obscure character from Marvel. Uh, don't worry, you'd have to watch any of the other Marvel movies. It's actually really self-contained. It deals with Oscar Isaac playing a character with disassociative, disassociative uh, identity disorder, and he's doing a magnificent job uh, playing these two different uh, sides of this uh, superhero or vigilante, I guess, more than actually a hero. I saw the fifth episode, which was really kind of heart wrenching, and the next one is coming out next week the yeah. last one so. he's doing a better better job with his british accent than say kevin coster did in robin hood although that's a very low bar to clear i still get the feeling that like you know the hugh lauries of the world are just so much better at sounding like americans well, than... well they actually there's a reason why it sounds bad by the way there okay is that part all right i'm only one episode in and uh all right so um what i'll do i was starting to think of some things that you could kind of if you just finished slow horses one uh i would that i would recommend if you have not seen it is called collateral it's from a few years ago Written by David Hare. It's four episodes. Carrie Mulligan has the lead. It's another kind of domestic intelligence British thriller. The through line would be Saskia Reeves, who is in both Slow Horses and in Collateral. Um, And obviously also... I mean, if you haven't dipped your toe somehow or other into La Carre, the books can be hard going. Um, One thing that I will say, if if you like audible books, La Carre himself voiced uh, a whole bunch of his own audiobooks, and he was really good at it. I mean, just way better than the typical author is, uh, you know, and he was he did accents and voices and all kinds of stuff. He was maybe much bigger ham uh, than we had imagined. So, and then the last thing, I, I, I've resisted recommending this because I feel like they're kind of doing the same thing that The Nose does. Uh, but among the things that do the kind of thing that The Nose does, The Watch, which is part of the whole Bill Simmons ringer empire, The Watch uh, is really good. I mean, they just, they're just they on more. They can cover more stuff than we can. Um, and the people who do it, uh, particularly the main host, uh, they're really, really good and very, very funny and very knowledgeable and stuff. So if you find yourself thinking, oh, well, I really need to hear a lot more about Better Call Saul than they're doing on the nose. I would reluctantly, begrudgingly turn you over to the watch. It's really good. All right. So is our amazing panel, of course. Carolyn Payne, Heldermira, and America's Greatest Living Film Critic, David Edelstein. Thanks for being with us. Come back for another week of shows. Oh, yeah. Talk about Torrington, Vernon, Danbury, Waterbury, Oliveberry, Woodbury, hitting on New Britain. Vernon, I already said that one. Avon, Farmington, yeah, 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 yeah.